I'm reading introduction from uh, Thomas Taylor, the Platonist. It may seem wonderful that language, which is the only method of conveying our conception, should at the same time be a hindrance to our advancement in philosophy. But the wonder ceases when we consider that it is seldom studied as the vehicle of truth, but is too frequently esteemed for its own sake, independent of its connection with things. This observation is remarkably verified in the Greek language, which, as it is the only repository of ancient wisdom, has, unfortunately for us, been the means of concealing, in shameful obscurity, the most profound resources and the sublimest truths. That words, indeed, are no otherwise valuable than as subservient to things, must surely be acknowledged as by every liberal mind and will alone be disputed by him who has spent a pri- the prime of his life and consumed the vigor of his understanding in verbal criticisms and grammatical trifles. And uh, if this is the case, every low lover of truth will only study a language for the purpose of procuring procuring the wisdom it contains, and will doubtless wish to make his native language the vehicle of it to others. For uh, since all truth is eternal, its nature can never be altered by transposition, though by this means uh, its dress may be varied and become less elegant and refined. Perhaps even this inconvenience may be remedied by sedulous cultivation. At least the particular inability of some or not to discourage the well-mean endeavors of others. Whoever reads the lives of the ancient heroes of philosophy must be convinced that they studied things more than words and that truth alone was the ultimate object of their search. And he who wishes to emulate their glory and participate their wisdom will study their doctrines more than their language and value the depth of their understanding far beyond the elegance of their composition. The native charms of truth will ever be sufficient to allure the truly philosophic mind and he who has once discovered her retreats will surely endeavor to fix a mark by which they may be detected by others. But um, though the mischief arising from the study of words is prodigious, we must not consider it as the only cause of darkening the splendor of truth and obstructing the free diffusion of her light. Different manners and philosophies have equally contributed to banish the goddess from our realms and to render our eyes offended with her celestial light. Hence, uh, we must not wonder that uh, being indignant of the change, 
and perceiving the empire of ignorance rising to unbounded dominion, she has retired from the spreading darkness and concealed herself in the tranquil and divinely lucid regions of the ma of mind. For uh, we need but barely survey modern pursuits to be convinced how little they are connected with wisdom. Since to describe the nature of some particular place, the form, situation, and magnitude of a certain city, to trace the windings of a river to its source, or delineate the aspect of a pleasant mountain, to calculate the finest of the of the silkworm threads and arrange the gaudy colors of butterflies, in short, to pursue matter through its infinite divisions and wonder in its dark labyrinths is the employment of the philosophy in vogue. But surely the energies of intellect are more worthy our concern than the operations of sense. In the science of universals, permanent and fixed must be superior to the knowledge of particulars fleeting and frail. Where is the where is a sensible object to be found which abides for a moment the same, which is not either rising to perfection or verging to decay, which is not mixed and confused with its contrary, whose flowing nature to resist no resistance can stop, nor any art confine? Where is the chemist who, by the most accurate an analysation can arrive at the principles of bodies, or who, though he might be so lucky in his search as to de detect the atoms of Democritus, could by this means give respite to mental investigation, for every atom since endued with figure must consist of parts, though indissoluble cemented together, and the immediate cause of this cement must be something incorporeal or knowledge can have no stability and uh, inquiry no end. Where, uh, says Mr. Harris, is the microscope which can discern what is smallest in nature? Where is the telescope which can see at what point in the universe wisdom first began? Since then, there is no portion of matter which may not be the subject of experiments without end. Let us betake ourselves to the regions of mind, where all things are bounded in intellectual measure, where everything is permanent and beautiful, eternal and divine. Let us quit the study of particulars for that which is general and comprehensive, and though this learn to see and recognize whatever exists. Sorry, and through this learn to see and recognize whatever exists. Let us quit the study of particulars for that which in general and comprehensive and through and through this sorry, for that which is general and comprehensive 
and through this learn to see and recognize whatever exists. With a view to this desirable end, I have presented the reader with a specimen of that sublime wisdom which uh, first arose in the colleges of the Egyptian, Egyptian priest uh, and flourished afterwards in Greece, which was there cultivated by Pythagoras under the mysterious veil of numbers by Plato in the graceful dress of poetry and was systematized by Aristotle as far as it could be reduced into scientific order, which after becoming in a manner extinct shone again with uh, its pristine splendor among the philosophers of the Alexandrian school, was learnedly illustrated with Asiatic luxuriancy of style by Proclus, was divinely explained by Ambiguous and profoundly delivered in the writings of Plotinus. Indeed, the works of this last philosopher are particularly valuable to all who desire to penetrate into the depths of this divine wisdom. From the exalted nature of, the, of his genius, he was called intellect by his contemporaries contemporaries and is said to have composed his book under the influence of divine illumination. Porphyry relates in his life that he was four times united by the ineffable energy with the divinity, which however such an account may be ridiculed in the present age, will be credited by everyone who has properly explore the profundity of his mind. The facility and vehemence of his composition was such that when he had once conceived a subject, he wrote uh, as from an internal pattern without paying much attention to the orthography or reviewing what he had written. For the celestial vigor of his intellect rendered him incapable of trifling concerns, and in this respect inferior to common understanding, as the eagle which in its bold fight, flight pierces the clouds, skims them, the surface of the earth, uh, with less rapidity than the swallow. Indeed, uh, a minute attention to trifles in is inconsistent with great genius of every kind. Uh, one second. And it is on this account that retirement is so absolutely necessary to the discovery of truth, of the first dignity and importance. For how is it possible to mix much with the world without imbibing the false and puerile conceptions of the multitude, and without losing that true elevation of soul which comparatively despises every mortal concern. Plotinus, therefore, conscious of incorrectness of his writings, arising from the rapidity, exuberance, and daring sublimity of his thoughts, committed their revision to his disciple Porphyry, who, though inferior in depth of thought, 
to his master was on account of his extraordinary abilities called uh, by way of eminence the philosopher. The design of the following discourse is to bring us to the perception of the beautiful itself, even while connected with a corporeal nature, which must be the great end of all true philosophy and which Protinus happily obtained. To a genius, indeed, truly modern, with whom the crucible and the air pump are alone the standards of truth, such an attempt must appear ridiculous in the extreme. With this, nothing is real but what the hand can grasp, or the corporeal eye perceive, and nothing useful but what pampers the appetite or fills the purse. But unfortunately, their perceptions, like Homer's frail dreams, pass through the ivory gate and are consequently empty and fallacious and contain nothing belonging to the vigilant soul. To such as this, a theatre atreatise on the beautiful cannot be addressed, since its object is too exalted to be approached by those engaged in the impurities of sense, and too bright to be seen by the eye consumed by the eye accustomed to the obscurity of corporeal vision. But it is alone proper to him who is sensitive, sensible that his soul is strongly marked with ruin by its in union with the body, who considers himself the language of Ambedocles as heaven's exile, straying from the orb of light, and who so ardently longs for a return to his true country that to him as to Ulysses when fighting for Ithaca. Slow seems the sun to move, the hours to roll, his native home deep uh, imaged in his soul. But here it is requisite to observe that our ascent to this region of beauty must be made uh, by gradual advances for uh, from our association with matter, it is impossible to pass directly and without a medium to such transcendent perfection. But we must proceed in a manner similar to those who pass from darkness to the brightest light, by advancing from places moderate, moderately enlightened to such as are the most luminous of all. It is necessary, therefore, that we should become very familiar with the most abstract contemplations, and that our intellectual life should be strongly irradiated with the light of ideas which precede the splendor of the beautiful itself. Like the brightness which is seen on the summit of mountains, previous to the rising of the sun, nor on it to seem strange if it should be some time before even the liberal soul can recognize the beautiful progeny of intellect as its kindred and allies. For 
From its union with body, it has drunk deep of the cup of of oblivion, and all its energetic powers are stupefied by the intoxicating drought. So that the intelligible world, on its first appearance, is utterly unknown by us, and our collection of its inhabitants entirely lost, and we become similar to Ulysses on his first entrance to Ithaca, of whom Homer says, Yet uh, had his mind thrown tedious absence lost uh, the dear remembrance of his native coast. For now all the land another prospect bore, another port appeared, another shore, and long continued ways and winding floods, and unknown mountains crowned with unknown woods. Until the goddess of wisdom purges our eyes from the mist of sense and says to each of us, as she did to Ulysses, now lift thy longing eyes while I restore the pleasing prospects of thy native shore. For then will the prospect clear, the mist disperse, and all the coast appear. Let us then humbly supplicate the irradiations of wisdom and follow Plotinus as our divine guide to the beautific vision of the beautiful itself. For in uh, this alone can we find perfect repose and repair those destructive clefts and seeks of the soul which its departure from the light of, of good and its lapse into the corporeal nature have introduced. But before I conclude, I think it necessary to caution the reader not to mix any modern enthusiastic opinions with the doctrines contained in the following discourse, for there is no, there is not a greater difference between substance and shade than between ancient and modern enthusiasm. The object of the former was the highest good and the supreme beauty, but that of the latter is nothing more than a phantom raised by bewildered imaginations floating on the unstable ocean of opinion, the sport of the waves of prejudice, and blown about by the breath of factitious party. Like substance and shade, indeed, they possess a similitude in outward appearance, but in reality they are perfect contraries. For the one fills the mind with solid and durable good, but the other with empty delusion, which, like the ever-running waters of the Danaides, glide away as fast as they enter and leave nothing behind but the ruinous passages through which they flowed. I only add that the ensuing theatrice did 
treated is designed as a specimen if it should meet with encouragement of my indeed mode of publishing all the works of Plotinus. The undertaking is, I am sensible, arduous in the extreme, and the disciples of wisdom are unfortunately few. But uh, as I desire no other reward of my labor than to have the expense of printing defrayed and to see truth propagated in my native tongue, I hope those few will enable me to obtain the completion of my desires, for then to adapt the words of Ulysses, that view vusafda let instant death surprise with ever during shade these happy eyes. This was the introduction to concerning the beautiful by Thomas Taylor, the Platonist. Thank you.